Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. That's actually a scripture, right? Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And most of you maybe are like, I'm, I'm not young. I don't feel young. Um, but I'm, I'm almost 44. So then maybe compared to me, you're young, all right? Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Or maybe you're young or new at your job or wherever you are. Like, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I heard a come on. Um, but I wasn't done. Because it says, but set an example, right? It's, just like, it, it's not just don't judge me. It's like, no, but it says now set an example. Set an example, right? It says in your speech, on your Twitter, in your comments. Set an example, right? In your conduct. It says in your faith, in your love, and in purity. To set an example. Um, you know, there's this thing. Uh, this might be kind of old now. I don't know if people still say adulting, right? Like, oh, I just bought glasses and, like, um, non-disposable dinnerware for the first time. Adulting, right? Like, I remember that was, like, really popular maybe a couple years ago. Um, and, I, and I was the kind of person that was a little judgmental of that, like, adulting. It's not a verb. It's a noun, right? Um, but then I also realized, like, parenting, Right? I say that all the time, like, oh, we're, we're parenting. We're, but no one, no one like, looks down on you for saying parenting. Um, but there's a thing called like, extended adolescence, if you've heard of that. Um, did you know that like, in medieval times, uh, anyone want to guess how old you were when they were like, you're no longer a child, you're now an adult? Wait, what was that? 12. Anyone else? 13. Okay. Seven. Seven. <laughs> Now, also, maybe back then, life was a lot shorter. They're like, you might not make it at 12, right? So we want you to make sure you have an adult life before you, you know, move on. Um, Seven, because, and the reasoning was this, um, by seven, you should be old enough to know between right and wrong. Six, maybe you're still confused, but seven, you should know. So now you're an adult. Um, In, like, Jewish tradition, um, it was, like what you all said, 12 and 13. For boys, it was 13. For girls, it was 12. Um, I don't know if that's like, oh, you're more mature or double standards. I don't know. I haven't really looked into why that was. But at that age, it was like, you are, your parents are responsible for you. Like, you kill someone's cow, your parents are going to pay. But once you are 13 or 12, no, you got to pay. Right? You are now an adult responsible for yourself. Um, in the U.S., does anyone want to guess kind of what the... And it's, now, here's the thing. In other ages culture is very clear. Like, here's the number, and it's kind of arbitrary, but it's very clear. In our culture, um, it's not a, it's not a, it's a range, right? Like, don't, I can't just put a number on me. Give me a range. Anyone want to guess the range? 18 to 25, not bad. (laughs) It's like, um, it's, it's anywhere, well, depending on the time period from 10 um, to about 19, Um, but not anymore. Because now it's kind of been pushed back. And so now they say anywhere from like 16 to 24. Um, some people say 26. Some people say 28. Some people say we still haven't figured that out quite yet. It might even be like your early 30s. Um, so there's, but here's one characteristic. As I'm a, I'm a middle school teacher. I teach math. Um, as someone is, that is around um, young people every day, right? 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, something I've noticed is that they don't really care what I have to say as much as what their friends have to say, right? right? It's their peer group. Like, their parents can even tell them something, but what's more important is not if I'm like, hey, cool shoes. Like, thanks, Mr. Earl. Right? But they, they want that respect from their peers, right? Of like, oh, look at those. You know, not, not what are those, but like, you know, like, hey, those are cool shoes, right? Like, 
they want that acceptance and respect, um, admiration from their peers. And believe it or not, one of the traits of extended adolescence is the elevation of your peer group. Now, I thought this was natural. I took, like, sociology classes and, like, um, youth formation classes and identity classes. And they were like, this happens. It's a natural thing. Um, but in, in, in other cultures, this doesn't happen where the peer group is so elevated above the family group. And there's something about the way that we've been doing family where it's no longer, like, holding that place, right, of importance of our lives. And not everyone else, um, even if you had, like, the perfect family, um, you could probably still go see a therapist and get like half off the first visit, you said? Yeah. As you were speaking, I was like, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> it's like, my wife has been encouraging me to see a therapist um, because she's like, you need to. And I was like, I know. It's so expensive, but not anymore. At least the first one. At least the first one. Can, can people keep going till they find like the one they like? Okay, we'll see. All right, I'm working for you guys, okay? We'll see. We'll see. That means maybe. That means maybe. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm all for therapy, actually. I, I, am, I am kind of looking, and so maybe I'll, I'll take you up on that first one. All right. Um, I got off track. I'm sorry. But extended, extended adolescence. Um, that's, not a, that's not something that happens in every culture. I remember one time when I was doing uh, college ministry, um, I had this, this young gentleman come up to me, and, and um, there's a lot of leadership gifts in him that were not yet mature, right? Um, that's just a nice way of saying, you know, kind of thought he knew it all. Uh, and he came up to me, he's like, uh, you know, Joe, can we meet? And I was like, sure, we can meet. And we're talking. He's like, you know, um, he had just become a sophomore. Um, and he was like, you know what? I think I should lead, lead the freshman group. And, and I was like, I want to give you opportunities, but I in my head, I was like, I don't know if you're ready to lead. I was like, oh, tell me more. And he's like, you know, because, you know, James is leading, um, but James is a junior and, um, he just doesn't understand, you know, like he doesn't know where they're coming from. And so, um, I think I should lead. And, and then that's when I was like, interesting. Um, James is like 20. And at that time, I was like, I'm 34. <laughs> so, so can I share anything with these kids? And then he was like, well, you know, all the point was is that in our extended adolescence, if the advice, the relationships, the most important people you have, what they think about you is only coming from your peer group, um, there's something you're missing out there, Right? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you know who said that? An old person. An old person said that. His name was Paul. He was talking to Timothy. He was not only his spiritual father, he could have been his physical father. Like he was a lot older than him. And so my prayer for you all, uh, Mickey, you know, and Krista, but also for the rest of you is like, God, send the old people into their lives, to speak into your lives, to affirm you of who you are. Right? We need that. I mean, it's nice to have the peer admiration, but we need those old people. And not, not me, because I know I'm older than you. So you're like, maybe, no, no, like older than me. You know, this is a young church. Like, your, your tattoos are still, like, they're not sagging, right? The ink is still fresh. And like, no, like, people with, like, saggy tattoos. You know, like, old people. Like, Lord, send the old people to this church um, either to join or in relationships, right? They don't even have to be a part of the service, but people who will speak into your lives, who will love you, who will show you what it looks like to be an old saint, someone who's walked with God. And some of you are going through stuff. You're like, man, this is hard. This is tough. And there have been people who've gone through those valleys, who've gone through those struggles, who've been there. And there's so much to receive and gain from them, so much wisdom. Um, 
You know, have you ever been around someone who's been in love? So annoying, right? I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's so inspiring. Uh, it, it depends. If it's you, it's great. Sometimes if it's someone else, it can get a little like too much, right? Um, I remember uh, when I, um, I guess, started to get interested in my spouse. Um, and there's like different stages, they say, of love. Um, one of the first stages they say is like infatuation, right? Or there's other scientific words for it, but it's followed by like physical symptoms. And you're, you're, for me, I, I get this like, I feel like I want to vomit, right? And it's like, I'm just like, every time I'm around you, I just want to throw up. Um, and like, or my heart just starts racing so fast. And like, um, I get like little, little tremors. Um, those are some of like, I guess my tells for me. Um, it's also, they say followed by, um, obsessive thoughts, right? About that. You just can't stop thinking about that person, um, throughout the day. It's also followed with, um, sexual excitement, right? And fear of rejection, right? I remember being so scared, um, I told one person, no, I didn't, but I almost told someone how I felt once, like, hey, I really like you, um, in second grade, right? In second grade, I almost did it in second grade. Um, so I wrapped up this Mickey Mouse doll, because um, I was like, I want to give a gift. Um, wrapped it up in a, a Safeway brown paper bag and duct taped it. Um, brought it to school, told my best friend, hey, I'm going to tell her that I like her and give her this. He's like, a bag? I was like, no, Mickey Mouse, inside. I can't open it, though. Um, but then as I sat on my, in my desk, all of a sudden I realized, this is stupid. I'm not going to, this is dumb. Thank God I realized how dumb this is. Save myself humiliation. And it was at that exact moment the teacher looked at me and then looked under my desk and I was like, no, no, no. And she said, Joseph, what is that? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. But I was like, oh, but I don't have to tell you what it is. And then Kevin, my trusted former best friend, blurted out to the whole class, it's Mickey Mouse. He wrapped it in a paper bag for Heather. And the whole class laughed. They laughed. And like I turned red. Heather turned redder. I looked at her. She didn't look at me. She just looked like this. I mean, she never talked to me again after that. (laughs) But I realized because of that moment, like I never shared with anyone if I was interested. You know, it was always like people like, you know, like in middle school, your friends send people like, hey, do you like this person or that person? I'd always be like, no. Right? And then, like, I'd be like, but I do. And they'd go back, oh, he says he doesn't like you, and he's so rude. He thinks he's all that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it, but I didn't realize, like, oh, that's probably where it came from, right? Maybe I can talk to a therapist, right? For half off, thank you, right? That'll be my first thing I talk about. Like, this is my test to see if you're a good therapist or not, all right? Um, all that to say that I didn't realize I was probably carrying that and fear of rejection, all, all that stuff, whatever, whatever, right? Um, even until when I was, like, in my 30s. But it finally came to a point where when I met Aaron, I was like, you know what? I have to take a risk. And if you reject me, um, it will hurt, but it's kind of like how else are we going to progress or not progress? Um, what I wanted to say was this. Um, also, in our, in our discipleship, there are also stages. Um, I heard you guys are going through Emotional Healthy Church with Pete Scazzaro's materials. 
Um, that's where this comes from. If there's a slide with the six stages of discipleship. Um, I'm so impressed by your graphics. And I just realized, oh, sorry, I just realized uh, that the, the flower, is, there's a 99 in there. I didn't realize, like, maybe some of you didn't know that, but oh my gosh, that's very cute. Um, but the first couple stages, um, stage one, life-changing awareness of God. Um, it's, it's often like that, that infatuation stage when, you, when you're kind of like interested in someone. Um, like you realize all of a sudden, like, God is real. Oh, my gosh, nothing is the same anymore. I feel a sense of purpose. Like there's just this maybe something you've already known, but it's just like this awakening that happens inside of you, right? There's this joy. And then the next stage, I'm going through these quickly, but you'll go through later, is discipleship. It's characterized by learning about God. You start um, coming into a church group. Um, maybe you get interested in reading the scriptures. You're learning more. Um, and the next stage after that is the active life. It's like it's not just enough to come anymore, but I want to participate. Like, like I want to pour the coffee. I want to um, help out with the graphics. I want to use my musical gifts. I want to greet people. Like, there's something that's like, I, I just, I want to do something um, and be a part of what's happening. Um, and then the next stage, what happens is there's something called the wall and the journey inward. This one I want to read. Notice that the wall and the inward journey are closely related. The wall drives us into an inward journey. In some cases, people feel compelled to move into an inward journey that eventually leads them to the wall. It has rightly been said that perhaps 85% of evangelicals, not all people who profess Jesus, but evangelicals, a particular branch of Christianity, really popular in the U.S. as well, do not get through the wall. Often our image of God doesn't allow for such a difficult experience. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the wall. Now, um, the wall is a place in your life where all of a sudden, um, you no longer have certainty. Like stage one, you're like, God is real. I need to tell everyone he's real. Stage four, there's a place where you're like, I don't even know what's true anymore. Like, there's a lot of deconstruction that happens of like, what's real, what's not. Um, And deconstruction is a natural part of your faith journey. In fact, you know who is deconstructing all the time? Jesus. He was like, you've heard that it was said, deconstruct, but I say, like, we think deconstruction is this new thing. And sometimes people are scared of it because they've seen people abandon their faith. Deconstruction should lead you into community. Like, hey, Mickey, I've been wrestling with these questions. Right, Mickey, I, I, I know you shared this or I've, I've believed this, but what does this, like, deconstruction should drive us into community to ask each other the hard and difficult questions. If it leads you to isolation, it could lead you to abandon your faith. But it should drive us into community, right? We should never be afraid of the questions you have, right? Jesus deconstructed people's faith all the time. And sometimes it led them to that place where they could follow him. Other times they turned away from him. The wall will come to everyone. It's not something that you're going to seek out. No one, um, rarely anyone voluntarily enters into this place. It's usually like a crisis that comes into your life. Right, there's a story. As I think about this church, I think a lot about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were three people um, that were taken captive from Israel, and then they were taken to serve uh, Babylon. Right, the richest, not just the richest, but the wisest, the handsomest, the beautifulest, the most artistic, creative, the top talent. Right, they just sucked it out of Israel, 
moved them to Babylon and said, you are now going to serve Babylon. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not even their um, Jewish names. It's their Babylonian names. I don't even know their Jewish names. Maybe it's in the Bible. I think I looked for it once. But they're Babylonian names. They completely stripped them of their identity and said, you are now Babylonian. There's a story. They're also friends with Daniel, if you've ever heard of him. Right, Daniel, the guy in the lion's den. Um, there's a story that the king built this statue and then said, everyone's going to bow down. We're going to play musicians. And then everyone's going to bow down and worship the statue of me as I watch you worshiping the statue of me. Kind of weird, right? A little weird. But if you're like the king, I guess, like, that's what happens. Um, and here's what happens. They start to play the music. And it says, everyone, whoo, everyone falls down and begins to bow and worship except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I've always wondered, like, where was Daniel, right? I don't know. I don't think he was bowing down. I don't know where he was. But also at the same time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't in the lines then. So I, I don't know. They're like, they, they were, like, in the same place, but different things were happening. Um, and they're like, where were you, man? I needed you, right? It's like, I don't know. But when everyone bowed, they clearly were standing. And I feel like that's his church. Like, there's so much pressure to bow to certain things, right? Even in your job, like, even if you're like a dental assistant, I had a friend tell me, I have so much pressure. My boss is always telling me to sign this here or, or push this procedure here that someone doesn't need. Um, there's always these little areas of compromise that people are just kind of like, it's no big deal. Just do it. Just do it. What made them stand out? was their refusal to bow down to the pressures and the authorities of this world and culture. It is extremely hard to do, extremely difficult to do, but they withstood it. So the king brings them up and says, I like you guys. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to cue the band again. They're going to play the music again, and then you're going to bow down and worship me while I watch you worship a statue of me. They're like, we will never bow down our knees he says, don't you know I can throw you into the fire? They said, we know, but our God can deliver us from that. And then here's the thing they say, but even if he does not, we will never worship you. They're like, we are 100% assured that our God can deliver us from whatever punishment you send. But even if he doesn't, we'll never bow. There's not a lot of certainty in your walk with God. Like, there was a time I just believed, like, God, if someone just started shooting bullets, like, and I was like eight or nine, right? (laughs) I was like, they might hit other people, but they won't hit me because I'm your favorite, right? Like, I don't know about you, but, like, you just have this, like, bad things won't happen to me. They happen on TV, maybe to other people, but not to me. As you walk through life, you start to understand that things are not certain. And sometimes I think we confuse faith with certainty. We just think things won't happen to us. You know, um, life is suffering, is what Buddha said. But you know who else says that? Everybody. Right? I mean, as long as you live long enough, right? If you live, like my four-year-old, life is suffering, when I say no candy, like, she's like, ah! <laughs> she gets so mad at me, right? Or no shows. Oh, now they're like, why are you talking about me? Oh, I did, I did the classic pastor preacher error of talking about your kids. I'm sorry. 
therapy. Half off. Children's therapist. You know what? My whole family is going to jump on this. Half off. All right? Or maybe if we just go half the time and you just pay for half of that, and I'll stop. Um, but life is suffering. It is. There's no way to inoculate yourself. And I know one of the biggest lies is this. If I have enough. It's not faith. For me, if I have enough money, I can inoculate myself and protect myself from suffering. Whatever you think it is, nothing can protect you and inoculate you from suffering in this life. Not even being a Christian. In fact, you know, God has a plan for your life. And I heard that a lot growing up. And that really bothered me because as I grew older, I was like, well, I don't know what this plan is. And there was, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And as things happened to me that weren't so wonderful, I was like, well, why are these unwonderful things happening to me if God has a wonderful plan for my life? They just never finished the rest of it. God does have a plan for your life. But it's for his plan. And not just for you, for the world. When David became king, it wasn't for him, it was for Israel. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. See, him and his wife really wanted a child. It wasn't like just so that you can get your prayers answered, so that you can go to your church and be like, look, let me testify. God answered my prayer. And people were like, that's so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. No, God answered Abraham's prayer for all of us. It was his plan, right, for your life, for his plan for the world. Like we've got to stop thinking so limited here. God's plan is for more than just us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't have a lot of certainty, but they have that trust, that belief that God is for them. I mean, think about Jesus' plan, right? God's plan for Jesus. Like, Jesus, I love you. Here's my plan. You're going to be born. I'm a spirit being, but now I have a body and a gender. What? Right? Like, limited. And then... You're going to have to walk around the earth, and people are going to hate you, um, and then they're going to kill you. And Jesus even said, God, if there's any way to take away this plan from me, please take it. I submit to your will, but I don't like this plan. And I don't want to talk too much about Buddhism because I'm not really an expert in Buddhism. But from the little I do know of it, Um, it seems like there was this realizing of life is suffering, but it's caused by um, these desires. And so what you need to do is detach from these desires. And if you detach from these desires, then it won't lead you into certain places of suffering. And there's suffering because we just desire certain things. So you got to detach from it, disconnect, close it off, extinguish it. And if you extinguish the desires, There's no suffering. You've reached enlightenment and release. Jesus teaches, and there's a lot of Christians living like that, actually. I have certain desires. Just got to extinguish it. Just got to kill it. Just got to, Jesus actually teaches something quite different. He doesn't say to disconnect or to withdraw. He does say to surrender. He says to surrender to God. He says, deny yourself Take up your cross, follow him, right? If you lose your life, you will find it. You know, all of our desires, 
I believe they come from a place where there's something in there that is from God. There's something in there that is from God. And it's trusting God. Can I trust you with my desires? And it's not just detaching or extinguishing. It's like, God, I'm giving them to you. I'm sharing them with you. I'm inviting you in to these areas of my life. You know, I'm going to be wrapping up. Um, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. All right, I should just stop. All right, we just think about that, right? Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And don't worry, I'm not going to just walk away because he said more. Um, but a lot of times we think like, there will be no trouble. Um, and I, I shared this when I came, like, last time, and we're, like, recording it. But um, I have two children, two amazing daughters. And, and it's weird because when you have daughters, um, it's still weird because I'm, like, it's 2022. But sometimes people are like, oh, you got kids? Yeah, I got two. Uh, boys or girls? Like, I got two girls. And they're like, oh, that must be hard. Or, like, I've even heard, like, what did you do to deserve that? I'm like, what? Like, what are you, t- you know, this idea of like girls are harder to raise and boys and all this other stuff come in. Um, and people say, oh, so do you want to still try for another one? Like, for, so you could have a boy? And I'm like, we might have another child, but it's not like I need to complete the set or something, you know, like, or I wonder what I would look like as a boy, a child boy of me. And no. Um, but when we found out, when I first, when we first found out we were pregnant, um, I was like, I think just in shock because I was like, what does this mean? I don't know. Can I still play video games? Right? Like that, I was like 34 or something. Extended adolescence, right? Um, the answer is no, you can't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like, true. Okay. Um, and the second one, I, you know, I was like, when we found out we were pregnant again, I was like, oh, this is great, great. Um, and then when my wife came in and we found out we were pregnant the third time, I was like, this just feels right. Like, hey, bring it on, bring it on. Um, and then we found out, uh, my, my wife just texted me if I could come home from work, and I came home, and it's like, this is kind of odd, and not trying to think about what, this is weird. Um, and then she just met me and shared with me, like, hey, I went for a routine checkup, um, but there's no heartbeat. And we just cried, like, standing in the doorway. I didn't realize how hard that was for her, like, um, not just knowing, but like being the one she would tell me later, like to have to tell me the bad news. If you've ever had to tell someone bad news that you knew would hurt them, like that's also traumatic in itself. Um, and like, what do you do? I was like, let's just pray. And so we prayed. We, we told our church and asked our church to pray with us. Um, and in your head, it does these crazy things where it's like, it's not like praying for um and I don't want to minimize praying for a job because that's important. A lot of you might be praying for jobs. So I don't want to be like, oh, man, I, he, just, he just said it. it's not even worth it. No, like, like, that's important, too. Like, a job is important. Um, but this was, like, I'll guess at that moment, like, the most important thing that I ever prayed for, right? There are times I, like, God, I pray I can have a girlfriend, please, right? 
Um, not that that's not important either, but like, I, I don't want to keep, you know, there's someone here that's like, that's my prayer. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, like put down your prayers. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying to me in this moment where I was with the perspective I had, it was like, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and it's just really hard to like believe. And there are moments where I'm like, okay, God, I trust you. I know you're good. Um, and I know you can. Um, and I'm asking for this thing. And there, yeah, there's areas of doubt in my heart, but I'm really trying to lean on to like just believing in you. Um, and people are praying with us. And then we had people, um, who they'd had experienced the same thing when they went in for a checkup. And then their kid is now like 10, 11 years old. Right. So we're like, we, we've, we have testimonies of this happening to people. Actually, I've met several people where they're like, we went in, there was no heartbeat. Then they went back and they found the heartbeat. And so I'm like, okay, God, you did it for them. Um, and sometimes you could believe like, oh, you did it for other people, but God, you won't do it for me. Right. It brings up all sorts of stuff. Um, but I'm like just wrestling through and like, God, I want to believe. And he brought me to a place where it's like, God, um, I'm asking with no safety net. Right. I'm just believing in you and I'm not hedging and I'm not saying like, don't be disappointed. And, and then, um, don't expect or hope and you'll never be disappointed. Right. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, God, I'm just going to believe. I'm going to believe. And every time my mind would start moving to, like, disbelief or, like, the reality is, like, I'll be like, no, no, I would just fight against it. Be like, it, it, that's what I'm doing. Like, I'm fighting against that hopelessness. Um, and then one of my friends came and he prayed for us. And he said, you know what? God's going to give you a sign. We're going to go in the next morning. He said, God's going to give you a sign. And I was like, okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. But you know what? No safety net. I'm going to receive that. He said, tomorrow morning before you go, God's going to give you a sign. So we opened it up. It's opened up my heart, received that. And in the morning, we have this um, sound machine for our kids uh, because, like, you know, we're like, go to sleep, (laughs) sound machine. And for me, like, I always put it on ocean wave. Here's another thing. You should also ask your kids what they like. They're like, we hate ocean waves. I was like, that's why you're not sleeping, right? But when they were younger, they didn't know how to change it and stuff like that. So it was always ocean waves. Um, and there's like a dial at Ocean Waves over here. Um, and the next morning I went in and it was set to heartbeat, right? And so I hear this heartbeat coming from the sound machine and maybe my kids moved it. They probably did. Um, but I was like, man, my friend said we would have a sign. I walk in and I hear a heartbeat. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to get my hopes higher. But God... I'm just going to lean in. You walk into a hospital, and here's the thing about a hospital. Um, It's not a place with a lot of hope, faith. It's actually a place of high certainty. Not a lot of faith. There's a lot of certainty. Talking to the doctors, they're looking at us like, you went to college, right? Like, you live in the Bay Area, right? I was like, look, can we just check one more time? And in their mind, thinking, oh, yes, classic denial, um, this and that. Like, they just need um, assurance and closure. And I just looked at them and I said, look, like, medicine cannot help our child. Like, we believe in medicine. We're here. But it can't help our child. So we've been praying. Can you check one more time? And even the way they grab the instruments, like, everything's so just cold and certain. And they moved it over the area, and there was nothing. And like just this 100% certainty. And man, it was crushing. 
it was crushing. And what came afterwards, man, it's what the ancients would call the dark night, where there's nothing you can do. You have no control. You can't pray your way out of it. You can't maybe even pray. You're just lying there and just, you want to numb yourself because you're like, I don't want to face this. I don't want to deal with this. Like, I'll just do my work or I'll just watch Netflix. Or maybe for some of you, um, I'll just work out all the time. That's not me. Sometimes I wish it was. Like when life gets hard, I just work out and eat healthy, right? Like some people do that, like 1%, right? I'm like, ah, I just go for Netflix and donuts. (laughs) But like there's there's no way to, um, and in this place of just like crushing weight, it was just like, wow, God, I have no answers. The only thing I can do is just cry out to you and ask that you're with me. And I don't know if we're completely done with it. And it has been like almost three years now. Um, I will say there's been, there has been measure of healing. Um, I think, if, you know, obviously, if you asked me like a couple months after this happened, I probably wouldn't get through it without like crying. And um, I cried a lot. I just did not stop myself from crying. Um, you know, I didn't realize this too. Um, but I never just let myself cry, even as an adult. Because I thought I cried like this. <clears throat> I thought that's how I cried. And she just said therapy again, right? (laughs) No, I want you to know that. No, I I didn't realize that like, oh, wow. Like I just, that was me like, like trying to like hold on to it. And like, like I I just finally came to a place was like, I just have to let myself cry. Like, and I was like, ooh, I thought the was ugly cry, but ugly cry is like even uglier. Like it was just like, just letting but you know, as we've gone through that time, like I've just become more convinced, like, God, I cannot live this life without you. Like, I need you. I can't live this life without you. Um, money cannot solve my, my, my problems. Like, you know, even though we say that, like, if I told you right now, hey, God's going to give you the winning lottery ticket, you're like, I'll take it. I will take, even if I told you most of the people that win that, um, I think end up losing it all or go through horrible things and their family members turn against them because they want that money too. And um, random people start emailing you every day and showing up at your house asking for that money. And people are like, it's caused so much stress in my life. Yes, I won $10 million, but my life is so much more stressful now than before. You'd be like, I'll still take it, right? (laughs) There's no, I don't think there's anyone that'd be like, no, I wouldn't. Like, that's how much we believe money will solve our problems, how much I believed it. But let me tell you, like, when you go through these walls, like, there's this place where you just have to come before God and be like, God, it's only you. It's only you. It's only you. Um, if we can get the band up here just to play something, you know. I just wanted to come to encourage you, though, because, yes, in this life you will have trouble. Yes, in, in this life um, you will go through walls. Um, but I want to encourage you, like, it's actually during that time where God transforms you the most. It's during that time where, where um, like, I just want to be an old person if I live to be that, that old, where I'm like, God, 
I've been through so much with you, and I'm still following after you. Like, that's been my goal. Like, that's, I want my kids to see me be like, man, my dad, like, he's been through some hard stuff, but man, he's like still following after God. And you know what? There are those of you in this room where you've been through some hard stuff, and the fact that you're still here, like, I just feel a sense of honor from God for you. Like, God is like, man, you could have turned away. You could have been like, forget this, I'm out. It's too hard. It's too painful. But you are still here following God, trying to seek him the best you can. And I feel like there's an honor from God for you in this place.